We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dort. You're listening to the Uncontested What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and proudly the official podcast of BoomTownHoops.com. I'm your host, Jacob Niffen, and today I am joined by Taylor Peterson. Season's not over yet. We've also got Nick Crane along for the ride. This week has flown by. It's almost Friday. That does seem it does crazy. feel like it's flown by, man. It's uh, it's crazy what social injustice, a pandemic, uh, category four, almost five, hurricane, wildfires, and everything else in the world will uh, will mm-hmm. make your week do. It's uh, True. it's wild. It's make wild. it fly by. Yep. Makes it fly by. Speaking of which, only three more months until 2020 is officially over. That's insane. Thank Thank God. God. But we still have an election to deal with uh, 
in, <laughs> in November. Yeah, here, here's what people are going to realize. We keep saying, like, can't wait for 2020 to end. Like, 2021 is going to be probably just as crazy. Like, a lot of the stuff going on is, is you know, whether it's a social injustice or COVID or whatever else is going on, like, January 1st, 2021, it's not like everything's just going to flip a switch. Like, we're going to have a lot going on in 2021 also. <laughs> Nick just wants me to start having to double up my depression medication. I think that's all all he's doing right now. I'm just now. prepping you for it. Like people keep saying 2020 is almost over. Like that doesn't mean shit. It's just a day on the calendar. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for that super glowing optimism. It's like I'll be right podcast. back, and then Nick and I will be talking for an hour, and then we'll never hear from Jacob. Kamiar is <laughs> rubbing off on me, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, gentlemen... It has been a wild 36 hours in the NBA. We have a lot to kind of cover, and then we're also going to get into some basketball talk, talk about Game 5 of the Thunder vs. Rocket series that seems to be coming up this weekend and the end of that series, uh, which is going to be incredibly competitive. It's a best of three at this point. I think with everything that's gone on, maybe momentum isn't as much of a thing right now which will be interesting to watch as we move forward. But we want to take a minute and recap kind of what's happened in a really historical moment, not only in the NBA, but in American sports and honestly in American history that I, I think is a, a pivotal point just where we are as a people. As for those of you on the podcast who are listening who don't know, uh, I'm a history teacher by trade. And just the, the stuff that's gone on recently with social injustice and then capitalizing with the NBA and what happened with the Milwaukee Bucks just feels like a pivotal historical moment that 15 to 20 years from now, we will be talking about in history textbooks. And so we want to take a moment to, to kind of reflect on that quick timeline to recap everything for you all. At about 3 o'clock yesterday, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic scheduled to play Game 5 of their series. The Bucks were up 3-1. And Milwaukee never came out for the layup line. And then as the game started, they never came out of the locker room. Ended up, Orlando went back to their locker room unaware of what was going on. And the Bucks had made a decision, uh, not until they got to the arena, and had actually started doing their warm-ups and their stretching and stuff, that... They felt like they needed to take action against the social injustices in the country, specifically after the Jacob Blake shooting uh, in Wisconsin and the subsequent protests and shootings at the protests that happened after that. The decision seemed like it came on fairly quickly and was pretty momentous. The two and a half hours, three hours after they made that decision, the Bucks did not come out of the locker room, instead electing to stay in there for the time that they would have been on the court to try to bring about actionable change. They had the help of the owners of their franchise to contact the Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor to talk to them, talk to him, and talk to other elected officials about how they could physically do something, not make a stand um, and, and start a conversation, but how can they take actual action to make change? They even wheeled in a whiteboard where they started writing down plans and thoughts and ideas with the people who were on the phone with them. Three hours later, the Bucks emerge from the locker room ready to release a public statement. And Nick and Taylor, I think it's pretty significant that the guy who read the beginning of the public statement for the Bucks, Sterling Brown, 
yeah, who absolutely. had yeah who had a, an incident with Milwaukee PD, and, and as far as I'm concerned, was tased by Milwaukee PD for I believe like a parking violation. Yeah, I think I think the story is he parked in a handicapped spot uh, late at night, early morning, um, to go run into like a convenience store. And was accosted by seven police officers, tased, pinned to the ground uh, with a knee on his back. Um, and that civil suit is still ongoing. Uh, I believe this was a few years ago, and the civil yep. suit has has still not been resolved. Uh, the Milwaukee PD tried to pay out a $400,000 settlement that Sterling Brown uh, refused. Declined, yep. Absolutely, so, which is awesome. Uh, pretty significant that he is the one that, that read that statement. Not their reigning MVP, Right, not the face of the franchise, not one of the better known players, but Sterling Brown, because that face is more synonymous with the idea of social injustice right now. Shortly after that, um, the other two games of the evening canceled. Obviously, no team wanted to be the one to play when another team decided not to play, uh, and it resulted in a basically a town hall meeting in the bubble. I, I on my notes here. I put big old bubble meeting because it was a big bubble meeting. And they, Every player in the bubble invited, uh, coaches and assistant coaches invited, uh, and guys related to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Chris Paul, as we know, took a lead in this meeting and, and really facilitated a lot of the conversation. Sounds like him and and Andre Iguodala, um, which it makes sense that the VP of the President Social. Uh, <laughs> Players Association, um, alongside Chris, so they were kind of the two who led the charge. But guys like C.J. McCollum set, uh, stood up. We heard about, uh, you know, it, well, this was maybe the most interesting thing I think that came out of the meeting to me, other than the big, you know, mic drop at the end, which we'll get into. But um, the fact that it seems like a lot of the, of the teams and players were kind of upset with the Milwaukee Bucks, not so much because of what they did and what they were trying to stand for, obviously, but. The fact that they didn't consult with the other players and teams beforehand, uh, particularly the Magic. I, I heard a lot today when I was listening to different podcasts and reading different things that they particularly kind of felt out of the loop almost, were almost embarrassed because it was almost like, well, if you guys would have told us this, we wouldn't have gone out and um, and gone through warmups. We would have joined you. So we really wish you would have let us know. And like their president, their uh, president of basketball operations was talking to the the Bucks GM or president of, of basketball operations. And long story short, they kind of uh, it, where I thought that there would be a lot of support for them going into this meeting. It seemed like it was almost the opposite. So you had guys like uh, and the reason I bring that up, Jalen Brown standing up for them um, am, amongst others. You had Pat Beverly having a couple big moments in that meeting, according to Woj. Uh, actually, at one point, asking the coaches to leave so the players could talk amongst themselves and try to come to a resolution. Just some really interesting tidbits that came out of that meeting, and um, obviously some great reporting as well. Definitely, no, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, Taylor. To me. Obviously, the other teams wanted to know what the Bucks were doing so they could have a solidified front. But what I believe Zach Lowe said today, sometimes in the moment, you don't want to put together a committee and go through these steps and go through this process. It's, a, it's an emotional moment where consciously and morally, you feel like you need to take a stand. And the Bucks did that. And that, that's the thing. It was actually in the moment. They didn't. The players and the uh, and the coaches, uh, even the coaches, were going through their their normal game routine. You know, they uh, they were unaware of this, and it wasn't until like I think right before they're supposed to go out for for warmups, the Bucks that I think it was George Hill and uh, and I don't I forget who else, but 
basically brought to the team's attention that they just weren't the right mind frame to go out and play a basketball game. And, yeah, and uh, power to them, you know, right, power right, to them exactly. to, to take that upon themselves. Don't ask for permission. Don't go through the motions, right? In a moment like that, you do what is right. That is literally what we teach our children uh, from the, the time they can have conscious thoughts is you stand up for what you believe and you stand up for what is right. And that's what these players did. So, um, but the meeting got a little heated. It seems like all teams except for the Lakers and the Clippers voted to continue the playoffs. Uh, it seems like emotions were very hot on Wednesday night, uh, leading to LeBron James leading his team out of the meeting early. Uh, but cooler heads prevailed this morning as everyone got a good night's sleep. Apparently, they all uh, got a little turned. I was going to say last yeah. night as well. Got the some mood on them. campus Wednesday night after the first players' meeting was relaxed, loose, even as people from all professions—players, coaches, media, doctors, referees—unwound with beverages of their choice well into the morning hours. That's there you go. Athletic. So everyone got a little drunk, <laughs> got a good night's sleep, came back, and hey, if that's not like the the epitome of 2020. I don't know what yeah. <laughs> So Thursday morning, the teams decide we will continue the playoffs. Uh, a, a players meeting coinciding with a board of governors meeting, which from reporting from Jackie McMillan, uh, Michael Jordan took a very prominent role in that, not only as an owner, but also a former player and uh, one of the very few, if not the only, I think it's the only majority black owner of an NBA franchise, right? really to push forward what these guys are thinking and to encourage the other owners, hey, don't come into a meeting with the players and tell them what you think. Sit back and listen, uh, which I think was incredibly important. Um, so Taylor Rooks at that point, she actually reported after that, because um, we hadn't really, that was an interesting part, you know, throughout all these meetings, the one last night, um, the one this morning, there was leaked information from the the Shams and, and Woj and all these different reporters, uh, Chris Haynes and uh, Chris Mannix has been doing a fantastic job. I've really have enjoyed watching him. But Taylor Rooks actually reported after the second meeting, which was the one where two representatives for each team met with the Board of Governors. And uh, the reason I brought up that, that first point about the previous meetings is that we didn't really hear a lot about this this last meeting that happened around 3 o'clock, I believe, Central Standard Time. Um, and, that, and you're referring to the one that was players with, with the, the governors. Board of Governors, correct. And so Taylor Rooks reported, to your note, Jacob, about Michael Jordan. Sources say Michael Jordan has taken a strong position to help owners see different points of views. On today's call, he said he isn't just speaking as an owner or even as a former player. He's speaking as a black man. And I think that was just really powerful and stood out to me. And look, I know I'm kind of like the the token guy on the podcast who reads off tweets and, and different like <laughs> screenshots that I've taken over time, but particularly for something this important and this significant, um, I honestly, one, one thing that I think we all can take from all of this, but, and maybe I should say this for our thoughts and reactions, but it fits well here also. It's just that in times like these, we really need to listen. Um, us three being white males who just love the game of basketball, especially, right? Um, our listeners probably um, are predominantly white here in Oklahoma, even. You know, I just, I, I really think it's important to listen. And so, you know, rather than me just give out my thoughts about what the players should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, I have enjoyed, you know, taking those screenshots of some of these people like Taylor Rooks and the Chris Haynes and others who have really put their words so, I've just done such a great job of really kind of portraying, I think, what 
they're really trying to get across to us fans of, of the game. So um, anyways, I say all that to say that I, I have taken a lot of these screenshots because I think people have been able to kind of put this into words better than, than I at least have been able to. Definitely, yeah. And I, I like you mentioned, a lot of the reporting has been spot on. Right. Um, so the, the teams have agreed to resume the playoffs. We don't have official dates yet, but friend of the pod, Keith Smith, is reporting that Wednesday's games will take place on Saturday and the league will pick up uh, as normal and just start following the schedule they had. So guys, with all of that being said, that's kind of our timeline on where we're at now. Uh, I just wanted to get our quick thoughts and reactions again, as Taylor mentioned, uh, as three white males. Um, I don't know what our, our beliefs and thoughts and actions really contribute to the issue here. Um, but one thing that I've kind of thought about throughout all of this is about a year and a half ago, we were talking about the player empowerment movement in the NBA as far as players under contract being able to force their way out, being able to control their own destinies. And a lot of people said, where does the league go with this? Like, do the players have too much power? I think what we saw on Wednesday in the, in the NBA is the epitome of the player empowerment so era true. of basketball. So this, true. Not, not, I want to go play with this player. I want out of my contract because I want to go play in this city. But the players are realizing that the NBA does not exist without them. The multi-billion dollar owners don't make money without them. And that they really hold all the cards in this situation. And they are taking ownership of that. They are taking control of that. And they are leveraging that to fight for what they believe in. And regardless if you uh, agree with their message or not, they are utilizing their First Amendment right to try to bring about substantial change in this country. That is and, long And for overdue. that, yep, for that, you have to commend them, right? We preach all the time, I said it earlier, to stand up for what you believe in, right? We tell little kids that, stand up for what you think is right. Now we have men that are standing up, young men, 20-something-year-old black men standing up for what they believe is right. And regardless of if you agree with what they think is right or not, you have to commend them for doing so because... Nobody else wants to take actionable change in this. We've seen that throughout all levels of government. Um, but, I mean, the Bucks have already, they called out the Wisconsin um, government, the Wisconsin Senate and House of Reps, to come back and vote on meaningful police reform legislation. And it seems like that is happening because they set out a game and because they publicly demanded it. Right. They are realizing the power that they have. And it's encouraging to see that they are realizing that and putting that into action. So I promise I'm not actually going to just read off tweets the entire podcast. But to your point, this is, I mean, literally spot on. Uh, Samuel H. Quinn, I believe a Bleacher Report, he follows a couple of us on the podcast. And uh, we've kind of communicated with him off and on. It seems like a really good guy. But spot on to what you just said, Jacob. He said that the NBA is a multi-billion dollar corporation run largely by white guys. Disney relies on the NBA. Time Warner relies on the NBA. Nike relies on the NBA. They are largely run by white people. You know what a boycott accomplishes? It pressures these people and these companies to do the right things. So I think you're you're spot on. Yeah, and oh, he's not CBS. to harp. Sorry, yeah, not no. not to harp on way too much stuff. But yes, it does pressure those people to do the right thing. But the inherent problem in society is that we are having to pressure people to do the right thing. Well, and the fact that these athletes are the ones having to take action, right? It's exactly. Not our, it's we not should our be politicians. doing politicians. It's not our leaders. It's yeah, leaders, politicians, uh, multi-billion dollar owners of corporations 
should do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because they're receiving external financial pressure to do so. Instead, yeah. it's Chris Paul, Andre, and uh, or sorry, Andre uh, Iguodala, and um, Jalen Brown, who's 23 years old. Uh, sorry, Nick, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you guys have, have hit it right on the head, and the thing that sticks out to me is like this should have happened long, long, long ago. You know, before any of us were born, decades before any of us were born. So it's it's refreshing sure. to see this this happening. Um, I, I do feel like this is going to make enough of an impact that actionable change will happen. It, it is sad that it's you know twenty year old guys that are having to stick their necks out on the line to, to make this happen. But it's it is refreshing to see, and I'm I'm excited to see what change does happen. And it makes you really encouraged about the leadership of the youth, not only of the league, but of the country, right? That these 20-something-year-olds, like I look specifically at guys like Jalen Brown. Um, you know, he Jalen Brown's, what, 23 years old? Yep. And just wise beyond his years, uh, incredibly articulate. Like these, if this is the type of people that the NBA is raising up right now, the NBA is in very good hands. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, Last thing before we move on and start talking about actual uh, orange balls going in round hoops is as somebody who has studied history, uh, who has a degree in history, change as far as societal change does not come around quickly. And when you look at the grand scheme of this country historically, um, we are still very much in the infancy of social justice reform. I mean, we... I saw a tweet the other day, Emmett Till would be 79 years old today. For those yep. of you who, who aren't familiar, Emmett Till, you know, a uh, black teenage boy down in the South um, who was lynched for whistling at a white woman in a convenience store. Em- Emmett Till would have been 79 years old today. Uh, instead, he died as a 15-year-old boy uh, getting lynched in Mississippi. I think it was Mississippi or Alabama, one of the two. Right. But, I mean, our— We are not that far removed. You're our exactly grandparents, right. our grandparents' generation would go to public lynchings. Yep. Right? I mean, we're very few generations um, removed from slavery. Where our My grandma was around whenever— Black people and white people couldn't go to school together, couldn't sit in a restaurant together. Black people couldn't use the same water fountain. We are in, historically speaking, we are in the infancy stages of reaching racial justice. Uh, And these changes don't come about quickly, historically. They just don't. It's not how it works. That doesn't mean that, goddammit, we can't try. Right. And we can't push the envelope because this isn't 1960. This isn't 1870. This is 2020. And at this point in any society, that stuff isn't acceptable anymore. And Jacob, I think that's why we see our generation kind of, this is something you and I kind of talked about privately in our Slack, even some on the Discord, um, even some individually, but we're kind of the generation, I think, who can really bridge that gap. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, especially just with everything going on ever since the beginning of this year, um, really has, you know, I, I always have found myself or thought of myself as somebody who was able to understand the other side, who um, was very open-minded. But even then, I've learned so, so incredibly much. Um, it's really opened my eyes to different issues such as um, systematic, systematic racism, just how deep, deeply rooted it is in this society um, in this nation. And I, I, I think we really, like you said, can be that gener- generational gap because I even talk to my parents, um, to my, my family who who are not racist by any means, right? <laughs> like, uh, But 
it's just so interesting seeing the different viewpoints and just seeing um I think that the change in thinking that our generation is able to, to do that, like you said, previous generations just aren't able to comprehend that. Um, but we have to try and we can try. I think we can do it. But that's also going to improve which generations. But that's not quick enough. That's not, um, you know, that, 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 that's not soon enough. It needs to happen now. And that's that's what these players are doing. You know, I, we saw some replies on, on Twitter and, you know, social media in general. Well, I'm going to boycott the NBA and I'm going to watch the MLB and the NHL, NHL now and the NFL and you know they got rid of Kaepernick he, when he he took a knee. Well, they're going to be in a real shock when all these other leagues continue to follow suit. Yeah, and every I mean, time we're seeing it in baseball shooting, right now. Exactly. Every time there's you a know. shooting, you're going to be out of sports for a certain amount of time. You know what? What happens? It causes us to have these conversations. We aren't exactly. talking about Jalen Brown going for 30 points in a playoff game, game one or game one of the second round series against the Raptors. We're talking about Jalen Brown taking a stand against uh, systematic racism in our in our society. Definitely and, uh, forcing the conversation. And these right, kid, right, and these kids who who are growing up and they don't know racism, they don't know what's going on. So they say, "Hey, mom, dad, why are the Milwaukee Bucks not playing tonight?" I was really excited to watch Giannis. He's my hero. And those parents, even if they're Maybe, uh, you know, ingrained in that systematic racism, they have to have those tough conversations with those kids. Definitely. And I I think those tough conversations, listening, and Taylor, we talked before we started the pod, the idea of being capable of empathy are the the core tenets of pushing this forward. Absolutely. um, Last thing, uh, today announced that the Houston Rockets uh, Arena, the Toyota Center, will be a polling place. Uh, for the upcoming November election, which I absolutely love. And I think that the NBA should push to try to make all 30 arenas in the league and WNBA arenas as well, for that matter, uh, into polling places. I I think that is something very actionable. And regardless of which political lines you fall on, I think we can all agree that our democracy thrives whenever we have voter turnout instead of voter suppression. And by putting more polling places out there just allows more people the chance to have their voices heard. And that's kind of, the, I think, the things that came out of the final meeting today with the two representatives for each team at the Board of Governors that we mentioned earlier. Um, again, Taylor Rook, she mentioned LeBron had a really powerful message to kind of end the call. Um, his main point was that work has to continue and the owners have to truly dedicate to advancing this cause. That's great that they put so much money towards, you know, uh, towards different funding, but there needs to there needs to be more action, right? And like you said, Jacob, that, that goes to voting. Um, that goes to, uh, you know, they, they even mentioned police reformation and just different things of that nature. Yeah. I think that they really are trying to push to see action and not just we support our players and here's my stamp of approval on twitter.com. Yeah, it's not writing Black Lives Matter on the court and approving messages that players can have on their backs. But ultimately, right. that, that's not a protest. If you have to ask permission, it's not a protest. They decided that staying and using this platform to a better degree than um, than they already have, they, they think they have a better opportunity of really portraying that message here on the campus or on the bubble campus compared to going back. Like I think Jalen Brown mentioned in that meeting last night, going out and uh, you know if you go home, are you just going to go back in the gym and put in work and spend time with your family and hide in your bunker and tweet Black Lives Matter, or are you going to go out there and actually protest? And um, so they decided that staying in that bubble gives them that platform to do so. And something else I found really interesting that I saw somebody tweet about it gives them this leverage that we saw yesterday all over again, right? They can use that yep. again. If they leave, they don't have that anymore. Exactly. 100%. Well, guys, um, let's tell our listeners a little bit about our sponsors for the week and get into some Thunder vs. Rockets basketball. 
from tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worslin, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler. These fillers can be potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in the morning, the cooling lotion or massage to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep stuff to drift into a deep night's sleep. Right now, through Labor Day, Monday, 7th, Monday September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't absolutely love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is likely not something that TheraOne is going to offer again, so make sure you get your buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire. Again, this is only through Labor Day, so right now, go to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL, and so are Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs reigning Super Bowl champs. I think September 10th, so we're getting really close. And with NFL Sunday Ticket, TV, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, you get Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. You'll never miss your favorite teams nor your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, guys. Thunder versus Rockets. We are headed towards Game 5. Series is tied up. It is a best of three now, which is incredibly exciting. And before the league momentarily shut down, we got news Wednesday afternoon that Russell Westbrook was upgraded to questionable. He would go through shoot-around and warm-ups and test out that quad and make a game-time decision if he would play or not. My first question for you two Give me a percentage chance that Russ plays game five. Nick, I'm letting you go first. Uh, you <laughs> always go first, though. I get, I I get to bounce off you. Which is why I was um, going Well, okay, I'll, I'll go. I, I think it's like 80-20. Maybe he plays 20, he does, and I think he's going to be back, especially, especially giving, uh, given this couple days of extra rest. Love it. I'm going to do the over. That's why I like you going first. I'm actually going <laughs> to say it's more than 80%. I think – I mean, I, I almost think it's it's – Basically it's a 100. thing now. It, it's it's yeah. going to happen. If, if you're well enough to test it on the court before a game um, a couple days ago, and we're looking at potentially at the earliest a Saturday game for Game 5 of the Thunder Rocket series, I think unless he somehow had a setback or, or whatever it might be, um, that he will be playing. The only thing that's, that's at a disadvantage is that 
likely i mean i don't know they, they might have practices but it, but it seems like yesterday and today and um i mean maybe even tomorrow they're they're doing a lot of things around the campus kind of unified together um working through some of these things and and maybe not have been on the practice court i don't know if you guys have heard anything differently but Rockets that might practice be today they did okay so that's that's uh that's, that's good for him he yeah. can probably test that a little more and, and i i think he's going to be playing so then what impact does Russ have? We've obviously seen the Rockets run this, you know, this five-man unit where everybody on the court can space out and shoot. Uh, the ball is in Harden's hands pretty much every moment he's on the court. What impact does Russ add to this team? I think there's two sides to look at it. You know, he could obviously try too hard against his former team and be detrimental, especially considering... They like to jack up threes, and Russell Westbrook ensures that either you're shooting less threes because he's driving, or and one less shooting three on the floor, right? Or, or or you're getting a guy that's less efficient shooting threes. So that could be one side of it. But on the flip side, and I want to talk about bench production here. The team that's got more bench points in this series has won every single game. So the Rockets did it the first two games. The Thunder did it the 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 most recent two games. If you slide Russell Westbrook into the starting lineup, you're moving a guy like Daniel House or Eric Gordon to the bench. That's yet another guy that could help win that bench battle. And then more specifically, we've seen these last two games, the Rockets just haven't been great with Harden off the floor. Um, Lou Dort's been able to kind of rotate minutes to, to mirror Harden and play when he's on the floor. And then the Rockets have been bad when he's off. Um even if you if you have another guy off the bench that's good or you stagger Harden and Westbrook's minutes, that ensures that Houston doesn't have those weak spots anymore. Yeah, that's a really good point. It does absolutely change that that rotation for Houston, which I think is huge. Also, we have to keep in mind that Russell Westbrook was honestly playing some of his best basketball of his career and was honestly playing better than Harden, was probably Houston's best uh, best player on the team that last month heading into the highest of the season. Um, so if he comes out and is the super efficient Russ that he was, then absolutely we're, we're kind of in trouble. Now, the thing that worries me though is, uh, or no, no, is that, but also, okay, you guys go ahead. Brody is not happy. Well, Nick, I think you hit, hit a lot of really good points there, especially with how it affects their bench play. I'm interested in who's going to guard Russell Westbrook. There's, this belief that, you know, it could be Dennis Schroeder, who has been a very good defender this season. But Russ will overpower Dennis Schroeder. And my thought is, with that quad injury, this is different than what Russ has gone through before. This isn't a, can you manage the pain? A quad injury literally limits your mobility. And so I wonder if Russ is going to be less explosive and instead rely more on that on, on his body, on his strength, and on that post game. In which case, Dennis Schroeder probably isn't the best matchup. Shea isn't the best matchup. It may be Chris Paul. Yeah, Chris has got he's got some beef on him. I mean, I know he doesn't eat beef. He's a he's on that that vegetable diet right now, plant based. Uh, no, he he he's a thicker guy. I think he's certainly someone that could could help with that if Russ does decide to post up quite a bit. 
you're probably not going to like this. Um, I could see Terrence Ferguson. You know, he does doesn't have the weight to to kind of help with Russell Westbrook's back down type plays, but he does have the length and he does have the defensive ability we've seen. And then another guy who hasn't gotten a ton of minutes here in the in the playoffs is Hamadou Diallo. We know how strong that guy is. He's kind of a liability on offense sometimes and isn't the greatest defender, but he's got the the right body type for it. Definitely, I. The Schroeder one is interesting to me. Like I could see Schroeder picking Russ up full court and really pissing Russ off. I, I mentioned this maybe in the Slack the other day that Dennis Schroeder guarding Russ full court, Russ will see that as more offensive than like 9-11 and Pearl Harbor combined. Which you I know, think could be just, a good thing though. Yeah, well, exactly. But I just worry that Dennis Schroeder is good guarding quick guys. I don't know how quick and how agile Russ is going to be nursing a quad injury that's not fully healthy. Um, and I, I just think maybe he'll rely more on bully ball and that Chris Paul may be the best option there. I got to ask both of you guys, cause this has been floated around and I think it's a fascinating question. Will the thunder try Steven Adams on Russell Westbrook and let him shoot all the threes he wants and instead, you know, basically guard Russ at the rim. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I liked. I, I. I get the. I get the concept, right? You can I'm play right five feet you, off of him and let him shoot the threes, but that's. I don't know. Russell Westbrook would find a way to kind of dribble towards you, make Stephen Adams come out a little bit, and then blow by him and get to the rim. Like in theory, I get it. I just don't know if I like the way it's running in my head right now. That's yeah. kind of like the the smart NBA Twitter thing that everybody wants to see happen. And I get that. Like that was also the small ball lineup that we wanted to see OKC implement also, but I'm not sold on it just like Nick is. Um, if there's any team that knows how to guard Russell Westbrook, it's, it's the OKC Thunder and head coach Billy Donovan. And for that very reason, Jacob, I'm, I love Russ. Again, he's always going to be my very favorite player of all time. I have a picture hanging up in, in one of the, in my office right now of, of Russell Westbrook, but um, he's an emotional player. And that's why I think Dennis Schroeder, being as aggressive as he is, um, the fireball that he is, almost the nuisance that he is on defense, he's the perfect defender to guard Russ. And to your latter question, I think that's going to result in Russ just trying to beat him one-on-one. And if you do that, you're going to beat the Houston Rockets in the series, just as we saw the past two playoff series. It's definitely fascinating. Thunder fans are kind of like hearing that. Yeah, so I think... Houston's offense shifts when Russ comes back, right? I mean, they're no longer playing that five out, shoot 63s a game because it's going to rely more on Russ driving kicks. And so I think those messages that we've been saying about the Thunder defense that you have to protect the paint and then rotate back out to the shooters, I think that becomes even more relevant with Russ on the court. Definitely. Definitely. One thing that does, now that you mentioned that, the kind of space the floor, shoot 63s, live or die by it, Makes me think back on some of the past couple games, like like Game Four when Houston just went ice cold and and everyone criticized them. Like get something easy at the rim and then go back to the threes. Don't be stagnant and and just die by it completely. Russell Westbrook would have been a guy that could have done that and got got him out of that rut. And that makes me think if he would have played Game Four, Thunder might have lost. So it's it's going to be crazy interesting. And the other thing too is you know Billy's really talked about you know he's kind of been hesitant to go to that small ball lineup for OKC to counter Houston's small ball lineup one thing he's mentioned is rim protection um and if you have Russell Westbrook driving to the rim on every single possession you need a lot more rim protection than Danilo Gallinari at your five and Lou Dory at your four so because of that we can see a lot more Steven minutes and like 
not nearly as much as the small ball. Um, it might not be nearly as efficient as we talked about for the first part of the series. Yeah, well, and, you know, we we talked about closing out to those shooters. With Russ out there, if it's not Russ driving and kicking, that actually kind of makes your perimeter defense a little bit easier because you don't want to close out hard on Russell Westbrook at the three-point line because he'll run past you, right? So it actually, in theory, makes the perimeter defense a little bit easier if you have one less guy you have to worry about running out to. You know, you can do a slow close out to Russ and and play the drive and if he wants to shoot are we sure you um, even have to uh, close out <laughs> exactly right like you you maybe just let him jack him up and I mean, that's and what we you, saw you, you live with the results two years let, ago. right let, let me ask you a hypothetical here you know so Lou Dort is a guy that Houston's done just that too they've let him shoot as many threes as he really wants and I know in in game four I believe he came out like two of three and ultimately ended up three of ten but We've seen games where, although Russell Westbrook's percentages are low, he's had games where he's shot well from three. So my question to you, if if the box score tomorrow, you look at it, I'm sorry, Saturday, you look at the box score and it says Russell Westbrook, uh, 5 of 12 from three. Are you considering that an automatic loss without even seeing anything else? I'm considering that a win. That means he shot. Wow, 5 of 12 is pretty good. But yeah, um... It means other shooters aren't taking three-point shots. It means that that's taking five th- or 12 three-point shots. If you're saying 5 of 12 from three, that yeah. means that 12 three-point shots were taken away from Eric Gordon. Um, but but would those guys Harden, shoot better than 5 of 12 percentage-wise? Yeah. That, that's no, a good I, percentage. Yeah, no, it's, I understand the point you're making there. I That's hard to say, but uh, the first part of your question where, you know, the Thunder let Lou Dort or sorry, the Rockets let Lou Dort shoot those threes and don't really close out. I don't think that's a bad option for the Thunder with Russ. Yeah. Like, because again, we know, we've watched Russell Westbrook for 10 plus years, guys. That's what I was going to say. Nick, we I'm know biased. that that dude takes everything <laughs> personally. And if you give him that space, he's going to say, you know what? F you, I can make this shot. And you let him shoot those. Like, I kind of feel like that's that's your path. You bait Russell Westbrook into doing all the work. And, and I kind of get Taylor's point. Even if Russ shoots 5 of 12, that's, you know, even if the Rockets shoot 53 pointers, that's over 20% of the Rockets' three pointers being shot by Russ. And that's 12 less shots going to Eric Gordon, Jeff Green, James Harden, etc. You maybe consider that a win. Even if he shoots 5 of 12, that just gives him motivation and confidence to shoot him the next night. And. Yeah. historically we know Russ can't hit those shots consistently so maybe it's a good thing that's a good point but to your to your point Nick again I'm a little biased because I've been hurt by Russ in the playoffs for the past two seasons um as much as I love him but what if he's like three of you exaggerated that on purpose to make your point what if he's like three of four three or five just for one of those games then the Thunder probably are in trouble and I think that's exactly the point you're getting at and I get that and I think you're right I think if you let Russell Westbrook shoot 12 to 15 three-pointers, though, you're in a good position Absolutely. Right. That's NBA defense, you're not shutting everything down. NBA defense is designed around trying to make the, the offense shoot a least desirable shot. I just I, And Russell Westbrook shooting a three, that means your defense is doing its job to me. I think that—well, two things. One, uh, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast this week, past week over the past week but same Vecini talked about how interesting it is to him that Russell Westbrook part because it's really like Mike D'Antoni and 
Billy Donovan playing chess against one another. Who can outmaneuver the other when it comes to that? Like we've been discussing, is OKC able to bait Russ into taking the shots that they want him to take and therefore take Houston out of the series? Or do we see the super efficient Russ that we've seen all season and he's able to just absolutely torch the thunder? Then the other part of this that we haven't touched on yet to kind of tie this all back together to the first part of the podcast, our, our president of the basketball, or the NBA president of the basketball association is our point guard and Chris Paul. And, you know, we, we even kind of heard some talk just amongst Thunder fans, nothing official, obviously, that maybe with everything going on, that was kind of the reason for his slow start in the bubble. And you have to wonder... Not just him, but everybody in the bubble. I mean, we we heard about Pascal Siakam, Jalen Brown, um, George Hill, all these guys who just really could not even think about basketball. LeBron James, after he had an incredible game, his post game interview, he was almost in tears, focusing on you know the the issues that this nation faces rather than that basketball game he just played. Are these guys really in it? Now that could go for both teams. Maybe that equals out. But what if you know Chris Paul being the 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 president of the basketball, the players association, you know, that can have a really big, big effect on this team. Cause this, this team goes as Chris Paul goes, as we've seen, even in the series. Yeah. I think that's one of those things that it, it's definitely going to be even playing ground. There's, there's a lot of emotions going on right now. I don't see that favoring one team or another. I've, I've got another kind of hypothetical question though. Um, if Russell Westbrook comes back, and it's obviously a clean slate right now. Like you said, it's it's best of three. If Russell Westbrook comes back and the Houston Rockets lose this series and he gets another yet another first-round exit, what kind of slander is this guy getting? And is that finally the icing on the cake that people are going to say Russell Westbrook is not a, a guy that can win in the playoffs without KD? Uh, I think it adds massively, massively to that narrative because – you can attach the Oklahoma City not building around him, yada, yada, yada. You can add all those caveats to the arguments over the past three years. Now, people will, will have the asterisk on this year saying he didn't play in the first four games. It was in the bubble, et cetera, et cetera. But it's another team. He's playing with a top five player in the league on a team that is designed really around Russell Westbrook. And if they can't win this series now, I think it makes that narrative grow substantially. I agree. Um, and not just him, but James Harden also. So that's kind of, again, I just, I don't know how this is going, which kind of, you know, side of the line they fall on. Is Definitely. It, and, and how many more playoff runs in his prime does Russ have? Well, and I, I just mean him and Harden both, right? Like, yeah, I mean, they're getting they so older. motivated because they don't want that negative narrative like we just talked, like you just mentioned, Jacob? Or are they so motivated that it results in them winning the series because they're they're willing themselves to the second round and hope maybe beyond if they are to make it to that point? I say hopefully because if they were to beat the Thunder, I would like to see them beat the Lakers. Yeah. Um, obviously, I want to see the Thunder beat them first, even if it results in that negative, that, or sorry, that narrative, that negative narrative that um, that Nick mentioned. But anyways, I'm, just, I'm really curious how that how that plays in the series. I also think there's a possible advantage here with Russ coming back with the Thunder on offense. Uh, we know that Russ is a poor off-ball defender who watches the ball and gets lost frequently. Uh, the Thunder have good cutters, and there's a chance that they can take advantage uh, in that spot with Russell Westbrook on the court. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch as well. That's a so, really good point, Jacob. That's something that yep. we really have harped on the past you know, two seasons specifically um, was Russ just kind of 
ball watching on defense. Now, it does help Russ's defense in the sense that the Rockets switch everything because we know Russ dies on every screen that's ever been set on him. But so so on ball, not that big of a deal, but off ball, he gets lost a lot. So what does the Thunder have to what what do the Thunder have to do in order to win game five? Like Nick, if you had to say the Thunder have got to do these two to three things in order to win game five and take a commanding lead in this series, what would those two to three things be? First thing isn't necessarily something they do, but I think for them to um, win game five, the the three guard lineup, Chris, Dennis, and Shea, who have had seventy points combined in both of the last games, they have to be somewhere on the same number, if not eighty. Um, I would say defensive rotations have to be crisp. You know, they they've looked a lot better in games three and four, and then I would say, like like we've heard a million times from Billy and all the players, um, the whole pace and space. You you, you would think that. Against a team like Houston Rockets, you'd want to slow things down and and limit their amount of possessions. But Billy wants to play fast. He said he thinks they can have more success playing fast and on offense, spacing out and and playing that style of ball. So the the space and pace portion of it is uh is big to me. Taylor, anything to add to that? I I really like everything that Nick said there, especially those last two points. I think the um. You know, obviously the, the perimeter defense is going to be critical. Um, maybe letting the appropriate because Houston's going to get their shots up, but making sure the the good shooters don't have those wide open shots and, and moving on defense. But the other thing is kind of something you allude to, Jacob. That I kind of want to add on to is the fact of you know you got to have ball movement. Um, you, you have to have offensive movement on offense, right? Even off ball movement. You need players cutting to the rim. Um, you you can't just ISO this team, especially with Russell Westbrook guarding one of your ball handlers now right you're going to have to get some some off ball movement and some some flow on offense because that's going to create space it's going to create create easy buckets like you said jacob <laughs> russell westbrook is not great uh, when it comes to backward back door cuts and things of that nature uh, um so i really would like to see much more movement on the offensive end i'm a little worried if we just get on an iso iso shootout with the Houston Rockets, because that's probably what they're going to do with us when it comes to clutch time, right? Like, who can be more clutch? Chris Paul, Shooter, Shea in 101, or Russ and Harden 101? And that scares yeah. me a little bit. So, one thing I would add to that is the Thunder also have to continue winning the battle at the free throw line. Um, I know a lot of Houston fans complained about game four, the free throw discrepancy. You can't bitch about the free throw discrepancy when your team shoots 57 threes. Right. For you're not sure. going to get fouled on exactly. three-point shots. You're getting fouled when you go to the rim. Houston did not go to the rim. I would like to see the Thunder continue to attack the front of the rim and draw fouls because they have been good at doing that, and they've been very good at the line. One one more thing I would add, too, and this goes back to the the Dennis-Chris-Shea lineups. Like Shea has to continue doing him. J- Jacob, I know you've got the stats on Shea, and, and I, I want to hear those because I think they're, they're being – talked about less than they should and and I'll let you read these off but I'm pretty sure pretty much every statistical category in the playoffs you know small four game sample size are better like he's had he's had improvements in every category yeah when before I give Shea credit uh I've got to call him out on his defense he has been I I would consider his defense for 75 percent of the playoffs so far to be poor uh the other 25 percent to be average he's got to be better on that end True. That length, that versatility, uh, that quickness, he has to be better on that end uh, as far as staying in front of 
in front of his man cutting off driving lanes because too many times we see his man drive right past him and get to the rim, which causes rotations, which causes kickouts to open threes. You've got to stop the ball at the point of attack, and Shea has been poor at that so far. He's got to be better. With that being said, Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the 2020 playoffs so far, including that poor game one that he had, he's averaging 20 points on 45-41-95 splits. It's 45% from the field, 41% from three, 95% from the free throw line. 7.3 rebounds, 3.8 assists, 1.3 steals, only one turnover, and an average of a plus 4.0 in each of these first four games. Shea's been doing a little bit of everything. His playmaking has been good. His attacking the rim has been good. The step back J is legit. The the rebounding, he's hitting the glass. He knows that they're sending four guys to Steven Adams, and so he's hitting the glass hard. He's been, I think, the unsung guy for Oklahoma City so far. We've seen Chris have a big game. We've seen Schroeder really win the game for the Thunder in game four. But Shea has quietly, besides game one, been very consistent and offered this team really what a what you would hope a second-year guy could do to help you win a playoff series. No, that's true. And I, I even compared him, I think on uh, one of the nights I had the account a while back, to Kevin Durant in the sense that you kind of look at the scoreboard and the third quarter, you don't realize, you're like, how does Shea already have 18 points and six assists and four rebounds? But he does it so, like, you just don't really, it's not as in your face as, like, a Russell Westbrook or a Chris Paul, even, or Dennis Schroeder. It's just so stealthy. Uh, and like you said, it's just so consistent, which I think is just really impressive. And uh, we really have seen improvement. We've seen that um, sort of leap that he's taken, I think. And we're going to need that from him and going to need that to continue if they're going to win this series. And I would even argue that even more so. It maybe needs to be a little more, not flashy. I think that's the wrong term, but we may need to see like a, you know, 25 plus <laughs> point. Yeah, well, I want to see him get to game. the free throw line more. And I think that's where he gets those, that's tw- those extra points. Game, exactly. game three and four, he averaged two free throws a game and he is too good. And we've seen him be able to draw those fouls more. He's got to be more aggressive at the front of the rim, getting those guys to foul him. And he's been good at it. He's got to continue to do it. I mean, he went at, we, we saw him go at Rudy Gobert in the bubble like he was Enos Cantor. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like nobody can stop him. Like, well, you've got to be more aggressive there. And I think the issue is, maybe not. it's not even an issue as much as it is he's playing with two other ball handlers, guys like Shooter, uh, Chris Paul, uh, even Gallo, guys who can create and um, who need the ball on offense. It's almost like he's a little timid. Yeah, well, he was definitely timid game one, and then he busted out of his shell. He's even said post-game, Nick, I believe, that they've started to figure the Houston defense out, and they feel comfortable now. Yep, and he mentioned game one that their defensive switchiness and, and their scheme on defense threw him off. He admitted to it. It wasn't like uh, you know, I had a bad night. He straight up said, Houston's defense threw me off, and, and I couldn't do my thing. And I, Exactly. You can tell from him and a bunch of other guys that they've figured this defense out, I think. It's going to be interesting to see how they attack it game five. All right, guys, before we get out of here, got to ask you, we're going a minimum of six here. We gave predictions at the beginning of the series. We're now down to a best of three. I want your updated predictions. How many games we go and who's winning it, Taylor? I think we go seven, but I think the the thing that worries me the most is something I kind of briefly mentioned earlier in the podcast. And it's the fact that there's been a couple games off in between, um, I guess, what was game four. And so I think that 
that momentum kind of ending and obviously our players being very involved with everything going on off the court that makes me very worried I mean I'm very proud of them I don't want to take away from that by any means but I think they're gonna be a little distracted on the floor and the fact that they just lost that momentum in general from when they went two straight rattled off two straight against the Houston Rockets I think that kind of favors Rockets here and unfortunately I'm gonna go Rockets in seven yep I I said initially Rockets in in six or seven I'm gonna stick with that and say Rockets in seven Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> thunder and six. F it. Let's go. Thunder and six. I'm taking it. We need thunder. All right. We need a Kamiar to come in and say uh, rockets and six. Kamiar <laughs> to come in and, and just crap on me. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, if this is your first time listening to the Uncontested, man, we appreciate you so much. We know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world besides basketball, but we appreciate you guys checking us out so much. If you're a longtime listener, you're the GOAT. Continue. We appreciate you. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your pods from as we drop episodes after every Thunder game. We got at least two more coming. Hopefully a lot more than that. So we'll see. Also, we have new episodes every Monday morning. Shout out to our sponsors this week. Also to Blue Wire Podcasts. Go to their website, bluewirepods.com. Also to Boomtown Hoops. If you're not in the Boomtown Hoops Discord and join that conversation, you need to do so because it is the most hopping place for Thunder fans anywhere. We will be back with you sometime on Saturday, I guess, after the Thunder take on Houston in Game 5. Hopefully it will be discussing a Thunder victory. We will also be on Twitter with a halftime periscope, so make sure you tune in and listen to us rather than listen to, you know... uh, Chuck and Shaq and uh, and Kenny the Jet Smith. I might not be as pretty as them, but you might like me more. I don't know. You guys have a great rest of your week. Take it easy. Enjoy your weekend. We will be back with you soon. As always, Thunder Up. Somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at BetOnline have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and prop bets. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check out it all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. Again, that's betonline.ag. And the promo code is BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.